Hey, this is Liz Johnson. And today I am joined by Katie Burnett, who is a lecturer in the Music, Media and Performance Department. Hello, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Would you like to tell me what your specialism is? <laughs> My specialism, that makes you yeah. sound very important, doesn't it? Well, you are. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, my specialism is, so I teach film studies um, and within that my specialism is looking at um, kind of representations of family and of gender, um, primarily masculinity uh, and fatherhood. I've been branching out a little bit more recently and looking at siblings, which is a kind of a whole new area, um, but I'm really interested basically in how film represents images of the family and what that tells us about the wider world. Fantastic. So you've studied, have you studied film from your undergrad to postgrad? Have films always been your passion or is it something that you started doing a slightly different track and found films as your way to express all the ideas in your head? Yeah, I mean, it came quite late, actually. I was an American studies student, as I think you were as well Indeed. at one point. <laughs> a great degree. Um, so as an undergrad and as a postgraduate, I did um, degrees in American studies. And then as a PhD student, um, by that point, I knew that it was film that I was interested in looking at. But I still did my PhD in uh, an American and Canadian studies department because my interest has always been in how film reflects society basically so i was never really interested in film for film's sake it was more well what is this film telling us about the world what does it tell us about culture what does it tell us about uh, the ideas or ideology of a nation um, so i was always coming at it from that kind of cultural or area studies perspective mm -hmm. um, so if, if you're asking me if i could only have one passion probably music or cheese um Ooh. or music and cheese um Song film is <laughs> i know right <laughs> that's, niche. that's very niche katie very niche yes um but i think film is something that i have a kind of fascination with um and that's what kind of drives my research i suppose that's really interesting i like that idea that it's film has been the way you can sort of express the ideas and thoughts about family and explore mm. them within the frame of reference of of america and white mm. america and hollywood and how that has a how that portrays things and the impact it has on the rest of the world oh yeah absolutely i mean and film is such a particularly when you're growing up it's it's such a family oriented thing isn't it it's a thing that you go to the cinema with your family or you watch a film with your family certainly as a, as a child and up to a certain age and then so i think it's fascinating you're, you're doing this with your family and you're seeing all of these images of family kind of projected back at you off the screen it must in some way inform how we think about our own families well, that's, that's what I'd like to think anyway. No, that's a good point. One of the first films I remember ever going to see with my parents, it was raining, funnily enough, in the UK. That never happens. <laughs> and we went to the cinema because we were on holiday somewhere and it was absolutely tipping it down. And we ended up watching Bambi. Oh, a nice, cheerful film. Yeah. Exactly. You know, three seconds in, <laughs> Bambi's mother gets shot. Mm-hmm. And my dad was sitting there 
you know, <laughs> clenching his fists, doing that whole masculine thing, mm-hmm. while at the same time you could see in his face all he wanted to do was blub. And, yes. and then the first thing he said to me at the end of the film was, you do know Bambi's a boy, don't you? Oh. So, I'm like, yeah, he had mm. very long eyelashes then. <laughs> but anyway, boys always do. Boys yeah. always do, it's true. We're going yeah. off topic, but this we is are. just, well, we're still on topic. Yes. So is there a difference between writing about films with a passion, writing about films for, say, film reviews, and writing about them academically? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, There's a huge difference, and I am in awe of anybody who can write film reviews in that really kind of compelling way, because it's such a, it comes from such a personal part of you, I think, when people write film reviews. Um, I teach a module in the third year, where we have students, for part of that module, we have students kind of learn how to write film reviews because it is such a different thing like you say you know it's not something that they're necessarily uh, used to and some students really come into their own in that moment because they kind of capture a voice or a moment in a film and they can really kind of pull you into it with that writing writing academically you kind of have to remove yourself from the equation in a lot of ways because it has to be a little bit more detached and it's such a weird balance because everything that I've ever researched has come in the first instance from a seed of something personal that's interested me. You know, I've watched something or I've been struck by something. Maybe that has something to do with an experience that I've had, or maybe, you know, I've just felt something when I've watched a film or I've noticed a trend. And so that sustains you for the first part because that's the really interesting kind of bit of research that you get to do. But then at some point you have to kind of step out of it and kind of just present it in a, in a much more a much more kind of academic or theoretical fashion so you need that spark of something personal in the beginning but in a film review you can kind of keep that with you I think through the whole process which I think if I were to do that in a book or an article that would be the thing that the editors would be like maybe no. take that bit out we don't yeah. need to know how you feel Katie you know yeah but that's a really important difference between writing academically and and writing about something you're passionate at Mm. um i think quite a lot of students may come to study film because they love watching films and they bring that passion to their writing but Mm. then when there's that element of writing academically they it's a process to take yourself out of your writing isn't it and and knowing how to do that but also want realizing that that's a stage academically that you need to do it can make a difference in your marks if you've been too personal or if you're too involved and you're not assessing the evidence yeah oh definitely without your i want this or i love this bit or whatever yeah and i think it's very natural to want to put that in because i think if you're passionate about film which a lot of our students are you want to share that with someone as well you want the other students or your tutor to know that you really love this director or you really love this film and it's difficult you know for me to read a really enthusiastic essay and you know when you do the same i imagine you think oh you can see the enthusiasm and you want to reward it but actually in terms of giving a grade for something what you need to reward is is that more detached kind of evidence base mm. that, you, that you kind of that you're looking for um 
so yeah it can be it can be a learning curve i think and i always say to students it's a lot easier to write about something that you didn't like yeah. and it's it's so it's advice that kind of so rarely gets taken because there's less enjoyment often in writing about a film or a director that you're ambivalent about or that you you're not really bothered about but that's quite good practice i think for actually getting that kind of distance from something that you might need academically because you're not so personally invested in it so you can kind of take a much more i, I suppose a kind of yeah a, a more detached um view of something and then you can be a little bit more objective maybe i think that's that's really good advice and I do see students, I see a lot of students in study skills who struggle to edit their work and I think if you're invested in, in something and it's something, you know, it's a director you particularly care about, mm -hmm. for example, or a film that you've loved for years and you've treasured, then that's going to make it even more difficult to edit your own work. That Have you learnt from having editors from when you've written your book? Has that given you a, a way to maybe disassociate because it's a very personal thing trying to edit your own work and it can be very difficult and time consuming to get enough distance yes um my top advice and i think you've heard me give this advice and i think i probably heard you give this advice as well <laughs> is um get some distance as in time you know mm -hmm. don't the thing is when you leave anything and it might be an essay or it might be you know an, an article or anything that you're writing if you leave it to the last minute you don't get that distance from it at the end so it, it becomes even more difficult to edit um so it's something i've had to learn to basically build into any kind of planning that i do is okay well where is the gap going to be where i can walk away from it and i don't think about it and i don't look at it and when you come back to it then you've got a kind of fresh pair of eyes on it um and I don't think there's any, there's no way around that. There's no fix for that of kind of, well, what can I do if I don't have the time? You know, I would say, try and build the time in. Yeah. And that's, that's absolute, that was crucial whenever, I mean, I've edited for an academic journal. I've edited for myself. I've edited for kind of peers and colleagues. And it's always good to get someone else to look at it, I think. Um, I have some friends that... I made when I did my PhD, who are still very good friends of mine now, and periodically, whenever one of us has written something, we will send it to the other one, normally about midnight, um, with the subject of the email or in capital letters, which will, you know, do, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Because I don't know anymore. And then they can look at it and, and getting somebody who has no investment in it, particularly, or, you know, somebody who will be kind. Mm hmm but critical finding somebody and you know if if, if this is if we're thinking about kind of advice for students find somebody in your peer group who you know will be critical but not in a mean way mm -hmm. um but doesn't necessarily have to do the same subject as you either it doesn't have to be somebody in that group mm -hmm. um find you know if, if you can find just somebody who does any kind of course all they're looking for is basically does it make sense have I repeated this thing over here? Um, you know, where, you know, obviously somebody looking for errors and things like that, but I think there's two types of editing basically, you know, there's proofreading, there's looking for grammatical issues or spelling errors or, you know, things like that. But there's also looking for sense, isn't there? And yeah. you know, is this working? 
Yeah, and trying right. to do those two things at the same time is very difficult. Oh, definitely. So breaking yeah. it down and doing them at different yeah. times also helps as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so how long did it take you to? go from PhD to book I assume it was not a short process <laughs> it was a long process it's a very long process <laughs> and I think that's okay I think when you do your PhD you kind of you feel like you're on this like a running track where you need to do the thing immediately, whatever that thing is, you know, you need to finish, you need to do your corrections, you need to write your book proposal, you need to publish. That's a thing that a lot of PhD students get told, probably including ours. And I spent a lot of time not wanting to look at my PhD after I'd finished it. So that whole process, even doing the PhD, that was about four and a half years. And I finished it and I thought, I never, ever want to look at this again because it had been basically my life for mm. such a long period of time and you need again it's about taking time it's about needing a break from it if I'd have written a book then it would have been I wouldn't have had any distance from it at all I wouldn't have been able to look at it in a kind of objective fashion you know it, it would have been a nightmare um so I took I take three about four years before I went back to it which was a long time to leave it and a few colleagues, a few older colleagues had said to me, um, you know, there's something here, there's something good here, maybe you should think about doing something with it. And the thing for me actually was um, my publisher, who were IB Taurus at the time and who were, have since been taken over by Bloomsbury, um, they put out a call for papers, which um, sometimes happens with publishers when they're looking for things on specific in specific areas. And they had a series called um, the Library of Gender and Popular Culture, which was obviously quite well aligned with what I do on fatherhood. Yeah. And so that there was a deadline on that. So I thought, oh, OK, well, if there's a deadline, you know, I'm a good student, Liz, at the heart of things. There was a deadline. <laughs> I, well, I can adhere to a deadline. So I sent off the book proposal and that was accepted. So once I got to that point, the book took about two and a half years and about two years of that was writing or editing or revising. And a little bit of that is just the bit at the end before it comes out and they're doing the cover and the, you know, and the indexing and the proofing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So a long time, basically. A long time. Yeah. Was it worth it? What was it like seeing your name on pr in print and seeing a physical, tangible copy of something that you've written that people can buy from wherever and take home with them? Well, very exciting. It was it was incredibly exciting. Um, ten year old me was very excited um, <laughs> because I'd always, you know, I'd always kind of thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to write a book? Yeah. Um, not necessarily the book as a ten year old. I thought I was going to write. I thought I was going to write the next Mallory Towers. Um, that did never come to pass. Although it's but, still about family, though, isn't it? Well, you know, apple tree and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it was it was incredibly exciting, and um, it's strange how other people measure the success of that as well. Because my dad, for instance, um, he was very excited when it appeared on the Waterstones website because that to him was like the you know a mark of success somehow. That it, yes, it's an academic book, but you can actually buy it from a you know from a real shop if you wanted to. <laughs> 
that is an amazing achievement. It is fantastic. Um, what's the best and worst part of the process? The writing, the research, the planning, the rewriting, the editing, <laughs> the messing around um, at the end. Is there a bit that you kind of go, oh, thank goodness I've got rid of that? And is there a bit that you, it's, it might even be the same bit you love and you hate because you might start out really liking the writing, but by the end of it, you really don't like it. Yeah, there's, there is a little bit of that, I think, because when I think about the research, I love the beginning bit when there's, you don't really even know what you're researching. You've got a bit of an idea and you can look at anything because everything could be a thing that will be helpful to you. So you go and look at all sorts of stuff. I love that bit the kind of excavation part and I love the bit where it all suddenly clicks and there's always a moment and until you get that moment you never think you're going to get it again you know the first time it happens you're like oh this is amazing but this will never happen again and it eventually comes and something clicks and you go oh this is what I'm writing about or this is what this means that's super fun that's very exciting and I love to write but I hate the bit where I then have to cut my own writing because I get quite attached to it. Um, so, you know, it doesn't just, it's not just a thing that students have, that's the thing that I have as well, where I go, yes, but this is a lovely sentence. And, you know, sensible I crafted way. it beautifully. Yeah, that, I, I love the, the word choice and word order of that sentence. It adds absolutely nothing to my argument, but I want to keep it. So I get quite stubborn about that. Um, I have come to realise, and it's not something that I like about myself necessarily, but I am a terrible planner. Um, I don't want to plan. I want to just throw myself into something. And I frequently do just throw myself into things and start writing. And I get very excited about it. And then that works until you get to the end of it. And then you find that, okay, well, the structure's wrong. And I've gone completely off track and it's not actually clear what I'm trying to say so then you have to go back and fix it and that's the bit that I really don't relish even though I know that afterwards it will be a better piece of work yeah that's the bit that I think why have you done this to yourself I, I blame future Katie and past Katie for lots of different things um <laughs> and you think why why did I do this thing why did I do it in this order but I, I think if I were to plan meticulously beforehand the spark would go yeah and I'd never get the running start it so it's, it's all swings around about really it comes out in the wash in the end but um yeah if any of my students are listening to this um do not do as I do <laughs> basically <laughs> well I've been advocating this rough and ready plan where you just get a piece of paper and divide it into nine rectangles oh yes yeah. And I've used that with quite a few students, including some of yours. And then you just mm. plan on the piece of paper because I I have the same thing myself. I start off and I've got so much enthusiasm and I'm this is really interesting. And then a year and a half mm. down the road, sorry, Mark Duffett, you've got an article you still haven't finished writing, even though he's bugging you to, because yeah. you keep getting distracted and changing it. And so just having a bit of flimsy structure. Yes, absolutely. Makes it less difficult later but doesn't distract too much yeah. or detract too much from my need to go wherever I, the flutter by effect in my brain takes me yeah absolutely I mean I I always say now have a master document of your original thing which is 
every little thought that you've ever had about whatever it is that you're working on. I have like a a kind of master one where I've thrown bits in or there's this kind of chunks that I've written and then I think actually I'm probably not going to use that. And then that all stays in there. Copy and paste the useful stuff into a new document. But should I discover six months down the line that actually that paragraph that I wrote and cut might fit in here somehow? I've not deleted it. I've just left it in a different document. So See, that's yeah. another brilliant thing because I do find a lot of students want to start again with the writing process. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Take what you've got, work out what the good bits are because you can always yeah. go back and reuse. But if you've deleted it, then you've got to start again exactly. every time. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But also that research process, you were talking about excavating earlier and mm -hmm. uh, a job interview I had many years ago uh, when I worked at a different institution. They were asking me to describe what the role of a, a librarian is. And I was saying when we're, when we're helping students, it is like excavating. It, it's trying to dig down and find the bones of something, but mm -hmm. also find out what bone it is we're looking at so contextualize it because so often people will find one bit of information and not know that that bit of information is actually not integral to the whole thing or is so integral that you can't extrapolate it without looking at this bit of information or that but without the context of everything else that's been written you haven't got a handle on it you haven't got an overview yeah so yeah. i think that's a great explanation but it takes so much time it does. It does. I think that, I mean, you know, there'll always be deadlines. There's always going to be other things taking your time. You can't have infinite time on an assignment, I guess, or on anything that you're writing. That's always going to be the problem. But I think you have to be willing to accept, like you say, it is going to take time. Um, and that, yeah, you know, quotes out of context or bits of information out of context make very little sense. Mm. So they might look useful, but unless you've done that work of kind of digging a little bit deeper, if we're going to use the, the dinosaur bones metaphor, I've turned it into dinosaur bones in my head, by the way. I know it, it, was. Anything, but... it was dinosaur bones. It really was. I've got a little <laughs> safari hat and everything. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so brilliant. Theme. That's great. Thank you so much, Katie Barnett. You're welcome. It was Thank good you. talking to you. Yeah. Have a great time.